Oh boy, people get angry on the internet. What's up, Story Geeks? It's Daryl. We are geeks, we admit it, we own it, and we love science fiction, fantasy, and comic books. Which is why we dig deeper into the characters, plot lines, and themes that appear in geek stories like Star Wars. We're always, it's always fun to talk about Star Wars, so... We do it often. We do it often, and this is going to be a really good one. Um, I'm Jay, and Daryl and I would love for you to join this conversation. Leave us a comment on our blog, Podbean, or YouTube, or send us an email at thestorygeeks at gmail.com. And really quick, before you forget, hit the subscribe button, and then let us know you're listening by commenting or shooting us an email. We'd love to meet you electronically. And as always... The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. That's right. As I mentioned, uh, today we're digging deeper into Star Wars and specifically into Luke Skywalker's character journey throughout the Star Wars saga. Um, This is prompted by some stuff that you've probably heard us talk about already where we had a tweet out there and it got a little bit of attention from Mark Hamill. And then um, that got us a little bit of attention from one of our guests tonight, so let's talk about our guests. Um, Paul Verhoeven is one of our guests, and our other guest is a returning guest, Dale Wentland. So, Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you're from, what you do. <laughs> okay, um, I'm an Australian author, broadcaster, and um, I'm, yeah, problematically big Star Wars fan. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I host a gaming podcast with Chris Straub called 28 Plays Later, and generally speaking, we don't get to talk about this stuff very much. So I'm really excited about having like an outlet because my partner, she likes Star Wars. I mean, everyone likes Star Wars at like an ambient level, but man, there's just no, it's like a spit valve. I can't let it out in front of her. So thank you for letting me vent about Star Wars <laughs> and have an thank excuse for, to talk about thank it. Thank you for doing it. Oh, no problem. No problem. And then Dale Wentland, why don't you tell us where you're from? <laughs> well, I'm from We Network know, Night. but tell yeah, us yeah, again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, one of the four members of Network 1901, and, uh, you know, we talk about everything under the Disney umbrella, and Star Wars being one of those things. And uh, also, I want to say, Paul, uh, one of my favorite things that you've done is your TEDx video about uh, sexism in uh, gaming. That and uh, Alana Pierce from IGN as well kind of propelled me to talk, make sure to talk about when I have um, uh, female guests on the show is to talk to them about what their experience is on the, uh, on the internet compared to um, our experience as men on the internet. And so, yeah, so it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, what I've learned from that talk and from writing the article I did for IGN about Luke Skywalker is that, Oh boy, people get angry on the internet. Like really, <laughs> it's, it's not that I didn't know that before. I knew that I knew, I knew it on like a genetic level, but there's, I mean, again, there's just something so bewildering about the, the pure white hot rage, oh. which again, men cop so like uh, the magnitude to which I got it for those two pieces was nothing compared to what a woman would get if she wrote those pieces. But oh yeah. Well, yeah, we get things like you suck idiot and women get like, like I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like, you know, like it's way yeah. worse. So, um, but, uh, uh, yeah, you you can actually, you know, you can find me uh, at Dale Wentland on all the social medias or at Network1901 on YouTube and stuff like that. And um, the video that I get the most heat over is I suggest in my Disney Animated Eras video that The Hunchback of Notre Dame is not a great film. And oh boy. <laughs> Wait, what? I mean, I'm not, no, that's, that's, if you're going to die on a hill, that's not the hill. 
I, that's, what I, yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I think. I'm like, it, and it's just like, well, it was fine, but it cost like a hundred million dollars to make, and it, you know, it wasn't that, you know, okay, sure, yeah, Hunchback, cool. Yeah. But it probably doesn't matter what Disney movie you call out as being no. not that great, right? You're going to piss somebody no. off. Well, yeah, like I had said that the golden era is it doesn't su- isn't to suggest that they're the best films, but that they're just the first films and it's a, a golden era of films and that like that too is like how dare you. It's like what? I'm yeah. so- I'm sorry they're figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, um Paul, you mentioned your article that you wrote for IGN. So um, just to give our listeners a little bit of context, Paul wrote an article titled In Defense of Luke Skywalker, which was kind of the inspiration for this podcast. Um, Great article. Um, I think we agree with you on a lot of points. We love Luke. Um, And we wanted to dive in and talk about it a little bit more. So let's go ahead and jump into some questions and get into it. Yeah. So... We're going to start with big picture here. Um, so from Tatooine to, I have to admit, I've only seen this written down. I've never tried to say it before. So from Tatooine to Octu. I'd, I'd go it? with it. I'd, ca- I'd call it, I'd be confident in that. I've, Dale, never, I've never said it out loud either. Right. Yeah, yeah that, uh, uh, yeah, Octu. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, that's how they say it in the novelization anyways. Okay. So from Tatooine to Octu. How do you feel about Luke Skywalker's character journey throughout the Star Wars saga? We're just going to kind of start off in general here. And Paul, why don't you kick us off? Okay, maybe it's like pronounced a chew, like a sneeze. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's a high pollen count. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, um, I honestly, I left the cinema after The Last Jedi and was furious because my gut reaction was I felt affronted that they'd done anything even vaguely negative or controversial to Luke because I, you know, I grew up watching Star Wars and everybody says that they gravitated towards Han or Leia or Chewie. I always liked Luke. I always liked how he's just so pure. He's like this vanilla wafer. He's just so clean (laughs) and friendly and optimistic and and I like that they made him dark. Like, Order of the Phoenix is my favorite Harry Potter book. I like when a character calls bullshit on the internal logic of the universe that they're in. I like when somebody, when not being given the response that they should get, uh, gives a complex response. And I've always liked Luke for that. Um, I think, and I said this in the piece, the thing I liked about Luke's continuing journey is it all seems to be building up to everybody being worried that he's going to turn out like his dad and then that key moment where he's presented with you know this fork in the road he says no and he throws his lightsaber away and he basically chooses to tread this path of like effectively like a warrior monk but he he sort of embraces pacifism right and my argument in the article was that everything he's done throughout the series is sort of a logical continuation of that moment where he hocks the lightsaber you know over his shoulder and I, I think he stayed true to that and it took me some Man, it took me... I had some late-night therapy sessions with people who'd seen the film, and we all just sat down, and we had, like, butcher's paper out, and we had moving pieces, and we sort of just went, does this work? Like, can we make this work? And I I had to fight for it, but, you know, I eventually came around to the idea that, yeah, his arc has been, you know, deeply gratifying and uh, kind of true to his character. And also, what's more, I mean, I I don't think it's over, and I think that's important. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dale, what do you think? Yeah, again, I was drawn to Luke as well, right? Like, you, you should be. He's the character um, who takes you on the journey, really, you know? And um, 
you know, I, I was that kid who Leonardo is my favorite turtle and stuff like that. So I always, always, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, who, who likes Leonardo you really? Like the purest like, I like Leonardo yeah. too, man. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Leonardo's yeah. The best. yeah. I'm like the pure purest. So, um, but I felt like it really made sense for Luke to be that way. If you think of like Kylo Ren is kind of, uh, he's a fanboy, right? Like that's what he is. He's, he's never done anything and he's mimicking what he thinks he's supposed to be because he mm. wants to be evil and he's a fanboy. He like he he does he does cosplay, and um, so uh, Luke. But Luke is a representation of the audience. He always has been. He's the one who takes you on your journey, uh, and he, I feel like he is almost represents uh, how what fandom the Star Wars fandom has turned into into these grumpy old curmudgeons who like <laughs> like have made their decision. They're gonna die on the hill they stand on. And no one's going to change their opinion, especially not a woman. And uh, I, I think that, you know, when, especially when Luke talks to uh, Yoda, he makes the decision. He's going to go. He's going to go help her. And it, it's only when he sees her, her and Kylo together that he's like, oh, no, never mind. Something like I take it back. You know, uh, I just I think it's a great journey. Like it, and it, it's kind of it plays into the samurai stories, right? The 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 old wise grumpy monk who you're like you're not the person that you thought you were and um could you like could you imagine trying to live up to that legend really like it, mm. it's a lot like he's just sitting there thinking about how how great everyone thinks he is and all he can focus on is how terrible he is and how he like stood over his nephew who was gonna stab him in the face like, like <laughs> <laughs> which he yeah. should have done incidentally yeah like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you, you really should have call yeah you should just kill baby hitler really like you should just like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're failing you're, yeah your failure is you didn't kill the baby and that's that's difficult and that's complex but Guy, that's such a horrible note to finish on. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I've ever heard that sentence before. <laughs> yeah, the, the problem, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think Star Wars is starting to play with the idea of um, multiplicity and timelines, like in the, the idea of that. Oh, there's all these prophecies and foreshadowing, and and um, but those are just potential, and e sometimes your actions cause those prophecies, um, trying to avoid them, and sometimes your inaction causes those prophecies, and you can't predict it. And uh, I think Snoke even talks a bit about that, about how his a part of his skill is to realize is when he realized how to really like um, read those prophecies. Like the Jedi couldn't even do it. They when they read the that about the balance, like oh you know the chosen one will bring balance to the force. Like oh yeah that'll be great. Let's get the chosen one. It's like guys, the imbalance is on the light side. Why do you not see that? <laughs> <laughs> Jay, let's get you jumping in here. What do you think overall? Well, I think I think Paul is really on to something, and I think it's because there's an incomplete picture, actually. So while I think Luke's journey is amazing, and I really, really enjoy it, it is com incomplete, which I think is what causes a lot of problems for people. So the last time we see Luke, he is this, he's focused on taking action, he's focused on redemption, he has a hope for the future. And now we see a Luke that is almost the reverse of that, right? He's not taking any action at all. He's completely removed himself from everything. He is not looking for anyone to be redeemed, particularly Kylo. Um, and he's really lost all hope. So there's a big jump from the last time we've seen Luke to the Luke we see now. And Paul said it when he said, I, was, I had to sit down and figure out why. Yeah. And I think the movie gives us some whys. <clears throat> And I think that those are adequate if you do what Paul does. 
be like Paul. Uh, you have to sit down. Drink a lot. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. But but I think that that's really important because as a writer, I often I often look at movies from a writing perspective, and that is the brain is looking for whys. Yeah. And if you don't take the time to dig into this film, I yeah. love it because I go, yeah, that's 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 intriguing to me because that happens in real life. I've met people that were one way and they became completely different people. I think that's really complex. It's really interesting to me, but it's not, if, if you just take it at face value and you don't spend some time on it, yeah, it might, it might upset you a little bit, but I don't think that that's what they intended. And I think they actually artfully put in little clues that if you do wrestle with it, you will get to a place where you say, that's a cool character arc. Yeah. Mm. And I think it too, it's, it, you can follow the logic backwards to the original saga as well. Like, I feel like they didn't stretch so far from little things that we got in Return of the Jedi and Empire that you can't make those connections, even with a 30-year gap in between. Mm -hmm. But I agree, the first time I saw it, it caught me off guard a little bit, too. I didn't dislike it, per se. In, I'm talking about Last Jedi specifically. Mm -hmm. But um, on a second viewing, I just completely fell in love with it. And I thought, man, I love that the Luke that I loved as a kid, this pure, you know, like you said, Leonardo hero, um, comes to this really complex place and we get to understand why and we get to hope that he can get beyond it yeah, and get to where he used to be before. And I think one of the reasons, that for just a kind of an aside, one of the reasons it maybe caught me off guard is I think I went into Last Jedi expecting the capacity of Luke Skywalker to be similar to the capacity of Han Solo in the force awakens, but it was so far beyond that. Hmm. Mm. Really good point. Yeah. You know, also I, I just, I don't know why people are having, are having a hard time connecting with why Luke would lose his way. Like he lost his faith. Right. Like if we kind of like boil it down to something that we can relate to more, like he cut, he cut himself off from feeling the force. You know, like he doesn't, he, when we meet him on Octu, he doesn't feel the force anymore. He has no sense. He has no, um, you know, Leia can't feel him. He doesn't feel the living force around him. He's not being controlled by it. He's, com he, he's done. And um, I don't think, I think he wanted to be a hero, but I don't, I don't think he wanted to be a religious leader, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that, that realizing when he, he, he started becoming like, could you imagine you're just like, oh, you know, like I help this guy, you know, I like I help some people and like, oh, I help my country. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. You're the Pope now. You're like, what? Why am I, <laughs> why am I the Pope? Enjoy your hat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And your yeah. bulletproof car. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, God, there's just no room to drive on that island. I think um, there's a degree of, I used this metaphor before, but I think it's kind of like, okay, this thing you're naturally good at, which has helped quite a few people, uh, has the potential of turning children into nuclear bombs basically like you you can weaponize people and what they do with that power is up to them and then there's this this kid that's born who is like there's a passage in the book in the novelization by jason fry where leia can actually sense kylo in her stomach and that's not where yeah. babies go I <laughs> and 
<laughs> Otherwise, it would imply she ate the baby, and that's going to solve the problem in another way. But there, there's there's a bit there's a passage where she basically talks through the fact that she can sense that there's like currents of terrifying darkness in there, and Luke assures yeah. her that that's normal. That when you've got great light in a person, you've also got potential for great darkness. And then as the yeah. years go on, he kind of realizes that he's bitten off more than he can chew. But he's this fabled hero. He's this Luke Skywalker. He's kind of bought into his own legend in order to get things done. And before he knows it, he's got this friggin' teenage Hitler lying in bed. And again, the book actually spells out the fact that Kylo intends to kill him. Kylo's ready to kill him. Kylo's waiting for an excuse to kill him. And right. it, it, it's mm. what, he, what he did effectively was he bought into the myth, which is totally understandable and it's very human. And I don't blame him for that. I think that's yeah. why a lot of people feel betrayed. They're blaming Luke for what they perceive as shortcomings that a hero shouldn't make but i strongly disagree i think that when you are presented with unwinnable scenarios you're always going to sort of just go well like like i'm going to take away the tools of weaponizing people i'm going to i'm going to literally dismantle my ability to arm any more people i'm going to hide on an island i'm going to drink freaky green milk and i'm going to hang out with fish nuts, <laughs> like, which we, we, well, we've all been there right well, well and it's hard yeah. to appreciate the the hope for redemption or the hope for something better if you don't get to see the other side of it mm. Why why do people accept it with Game of Thrones but not with like Star Wars and Luke Skywalker? You know what I mean? Like I feel like the fandoms have some overlap there. Um you know, it like Game of Thrones is about what happens after the heroes succeed. You know, and this is basically what the last Jedi has become. What happened like or actually this whole trilogy is what happens after the heroes succeed. Um I think I think in Game of Thrones you know, um, Luke would have killed the kid and it would have been regarded as a yeah. gray but roughly acceptable thing to do. Whereas in this, you have this guy who is like, no to violence, no to hurting people. And now sure. you, you, the, the force has put him in a situation where he has to make a choice as to whether to kill yeah. this kid or not. And he chooses not to. And both choices suck, by the way. Like none of those choices are winnable. He will be hounded or executed or ex... He'd be on the island drinking himself to death on green milk yeah, no matter he had what. done it exactly yeah, so yeah. like he couldn't he couldn't win the force has a voice and it, and it guides people the cosmic force yeah. guides characters towards mm. certain points and yeah. he literally cuts the phone line and makes sure that it can't tell him yeah. what to do anymore again totally understandable that's what I loved about the novel was the the detail about the cosmic force mm. that was a, a cool little thing that kind of enriched the story for sure uh, and the cosmic force, for people who don't know, is is it's the controlling part of the force. It's the part that kind of pushes people forward, or creates a Anakin, or creates a Ray, or um, you know gives uh, Kylo Ren a bunch of power and makes Luke Skywalker have to make a decision. It's it's the it's the more active part of the force. Yeah, it's. I think it's the part that op, that helps operate the crew from Rogue One and moves them like chess pieces until only one of them is left, and it's some dumpy soldier running down a corridor with a microfiche, crying and screaming for his parents as he gets. And no, like the the. I think the cosmic force is fighting something far bigger than itself, and sometimes it has to sacrifice people. And yes. it's and and when you watch. Um, cheer at Imway watching, walking across the battlefield chanting to himself you're like look they're fine with dying they're fine with sacrificing themselves they get it they get what role they play in the, in the grand scheme of things right. but there is nothing wrong with like turning back to the cosmic force and saying I've given enough you put me in a horrible situation just give me five years to chill out and I might get back to you and that's <laughs> you know it's it's kind of great I mean it was hard to stomach at the time but I'm, I'm beyond fine with it now I think to the point too about 
the you know what happens with Game of Thrones versus Star Wars and why is there this dichotomy that were, that exists? The the problem is with Game of Thrones, the general premise is the world sucks. <laughs> And I think in Star Wars, that's not the premise they give you. The premise they give you is, no, things work out for the betterment of everyone. And <laughs> when you see complexity appear and you don't want to deal with that complexity, <laughs> you freak out, right? Yeah. And I think what they're doing is, uh, what Ryan Johnson's doing here is he's saying like, you know what, I'm going to add a little more complexity to this world. And unfortunately, people don't want to be able to deal with that. Yeah. It's true. We just got done recording a live show where we were talking about the most complex characters in the Star Wars saga. And Dale, you were the one that actually pointed out that Luke is a good candidate for that, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, let's go on to the next question here. So um, is Luke the best of the Jedi? Um, and why or why not? And if he's not, who do you think is? Um, Dale, do you want to lead us off on this one? Oh, sure. Um well, I'm like Canadian, so I'm always like a, I'm I'm always a centralist on everything, right? So, uh, for me, I think like Luke is great because he balances that line between uh, good and dark, and I think he is right about the idea of like he really is. Um, he doesn't want the religion of the Jedi to exist. He's not saying he he's telling Ray like go be a hero, like go save the day. Like he's he's not saying he doesn't want good to win. He, but he doesn't want to go help because he doesn't want the religion of the Jedi to continue because it is folly. And that's what Yoda comes to talk to him about. And, um, you know, Yoda made way bigger mistakes than, than Luke ever made. And I would say that, like, you know, often people would probably consider him to be one of the best Jedis that we know. Um, but I don't know. I think it does have to be Luke. I think his, his, his upbringing really... Um, really gave him a unique perspective and he, he kind of brought something different that the Jedi sorely needed, mm -hmm. uh, even though he failed completely and his entire school tried to kill him. <laughs> 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 Which is still not as bad as what Yoda did, so that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, what do you think? I think the, there's some interesting points in there about religion. Um, I would classify Obi-Wan as a pretty... Because he was raised by... Qui-Gon Jinn, who I, I love, I love Qui-Gon. Like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a prequel apologist, but I think the character is really great. I think if if Qui-Gon had taught Anakin, I think Anakin would have turned right. out okay. I think it's, you know, yeah. he needed he needed like a like he basically needed a hippie teaching him as opposed to you know like an untrained kind of angry young man. But Obi-Wan later on, I think, <laughs> started to absorb some of those qualities that Qui-Gon had, and. There's this thing that Obi-Wan says to Anakin. He says, only the Sith deal in absolutes. And when he said that, I was like, but Obi-Wan said, do or do not, there is no try. And I'm like, I, that you've got, what you've got with the Jedi is you've got a fundamentalist religion who have this practiced stance of non-intervention, but they also have political money. And it's just like, what are you, the Vatican? Mm -hmm. And it just, I started to hate the Jedi. And I started to think yeah. what you effectively need is freewheeling, nomadic, wandering Ronin who use their powers for good. There was a point in um, Jedi Outcast, the video game where Kyle turns to you and says, there's nothing inherently evil about force powers. You can use lightning, it's, it's, it's using yeah. it on people that is the problem, right? It's your intent mm -hmm. that makes you good or evil. So the prospect of having force users who aren't allied to either side and just sort of do the right thing is exhilarating. I think that's why I was pissed that Ray took the books. Because I, I, I felt kind of betrayed by... 
is that spelled out in the novel? Like, did they specifically say that she took the books? Because it's not totally clear in the movie, right? We just no, assume that. It, yeah, you just you see a drawer full of books, and I think yeah. it sits on it for a second. I'm not sure. I, I really hope that it's not. I hope that she does something or jettisons them out of the air. Like, I hope that we cut to. I want a time jump for the next film. I want five years in the future. I want her yeah. at the new training camp, and I want Ghost Luke and Ghost Leia <laughs> training kids, and he says. <laughs> And he tells her to get rid of the books. And I just want some sort of moment of acknowledgement. But I think for years, my favorite Jedi was actually Kyle Katarn from the Dark Forces video games yeah. because I like the yeah because I, I, there's this moment in Jedi Outcast where he he effectively he effectively has to earn the right to earn his lightsaber back because he's kind mm. of lost his mind a little bit. So he goes to Yavin and he learns how to use his lightsaber. I could talk about Kyle Katan for hours. The fact that they decanonized <laughs> him has destroyed me. Um, yeah. I think the best Jedi are effectively just, you know, people with their own moral barometers who happen to know how to use the Force. You know, Corrin Horn from the Stackpole novels. Pe- people like that. People who are a little grayer. So Luke shot to the top of my list the second the film finished. So mm. if he's not the top, he's very close. Well, and actually, great point about the lightning. Like Yoda uses lightning, right? So it's a force ability that they have access to. Luke has used force choke, so another uh, dark side ability, but he was using it to save somebody. Yeah. Wait, the with the the the, the Gamorians? The pigmen? Uh, yeah. Did they die? Did he choke did he choke pigmen to death to get to save his friend? <laughs> not to, de- not <laughs> to death, I don't. Well, we don't know if he's to dead, but we know that he passed out by being choked. Oh, yeah. Either either way, it was aggressive, <laughs> yeah, it was and kind kind of hot, honestly. But so. in the in um, <laughs> just to also to, Daryl for your question, as uh, in the novelization, they do highlight specifically about the books being in there. Um, they don't say Ray took them, but they do okay. again highlight the books uh, specifically. Okay. So um, th- that is important. Okay, cool. Jay, what do you think about whether or not Luke is the best Jedi? I think at the end of Return of the Jedi, there's no question that he is. Okay. I think at the end of The Last Jedi, there's no question that he is. Um, When he's focused on his friends and his family, when he's looking for real change, when he's looking for people to be redeemed, he's at his best. I completely agree with the other two comments about the, the organized religion of the Jedi Order. Uh, that is mis- mistaken and misplaced at best. I don't know that the the sacred texts. We don't know. I don't know what the sacred texts say, so I can't necessarily equate the two together. So I'm not quite. I'm okay with it being because I think what Luke needed to hear at that time from Yoda was, "You forgive yourself, dude. Like get over yeah. it, move past it, regardless of what the texts say or not." But uh, I reject Obi Wan and Yoda because Obi Wan and Yoda both said. Like you said, Dale, after making a ton of mistakes, they both said, you got to kill Vader on arrival. Show up, kill Vader. Done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Luke goes, not doing that. Yeah. I'm not doing that, right? So I think that that makes Luke instantly superior to those two, in my opinion. Mm, yes. The Qui-Gon Jinn argument was a really good argument until, I, until we did the dig deeper with Michael Young. Uh-huh. And I go, as, as I'm looking through that movie and I see Qui-Gon Jinn arrive, he arrives at this place where they basically say like, oh yeah, these are our slaves. And he's like, 
okay, I'll see if I can win him from you. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, dude, right. pull out right. your lightsaber, cut the yeah. cut the wings off Watto, and yeah. as he's squirming around on the ground, be like, by the way, don't do slaves, and then like then leave with Anakin yeah. and his mom. Slavery? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> so. uh, Obi Wan and uh, Qui Gon are kind of racist about uh, Jar Jar as well when they first meet him. Like, true. like Obi-Wan's like, what's this thing? And it's like, and they're like, what's this? He's an idiot. And it's like, I speak. It's like, just because you speak doesn't mean you're an idiot, not an idiot. It's like, like they really are pretty disrespectful of him as well. So, well, yeah. let's be clear. Jar Jar uh, commands respect from nobody. <laughs> what do you so, mean? He's a dark Sith Lord. Take it back. Oh, yeah, oh, and yeah, also, yeah. also, we forgot the most obvious Jedi, Kit Fisto. <laughs> who, right? Nice. Like I swear to God. <laughs> So yeah, just to, just to conclude my thoughts, I think it's got to be Luke because I, I don't think what people realize when they say that's not my Luke. Like, first of all, that's the point. Yeah. Second of all, he gets back to that place. And now he's a more complex character for doing it because he's, he's come through a period of darkness. And shouldn't we all celebrate that fact that he's actually come to a place where he said, you know what, I realized that I've held back for so long that now I'm being damaging yeah. and it's time for me to be a hero again. Um, I think that that's super cool. So Luke's my answer. Yeah. And if there's no dark point, there's no journey and there's no story. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I agree. I, I, I would put him as the best for three specific reasons. I'll just say real quick. You mentioned it, Jay. He hopes for redemption. So he doesn't automatically just want to kill everybody. He wants to hope that there's good. He wants to hope that there's light. Um, the other two things I would say are he seems able to recognize when he's gotten off the path better than all the other ones can. Hmm. Like, you know, and like Obi-Wan didn't realize when he was just making things worse with Anakin and and uh, Yoda didn't realize that the clones were going to be a mistake. You know, just all these different things. But um, I feel like Luke is able to recognize his own faults. And then lastly, when he f- sees that he has them for better or for worse, he chooses to remove himself, mm. which mm-hmm. I think is a sacrificial choice. In a sense, I mean, sure, he's letting people, some people down in the process as well. But like Paul said, with the baby Hitler choice, I mean, he's sort of faced with this terrible choice and whatever he does is going to have consequences. Right. So, and, and really their government let them down. They didn't take Leia seriously enough about the first order and they didn't, you know, they had to build a subset resistance group as opposed to a full alliance and you know, like you can't put this whole situation on Luke because he wasn't there. Like, you know, it uh, the, the government that was destroyed, the New Republic, was really like at fault for just being again like the, an arrogant remake of the Republic that had existed before. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's other people who stood over Kylo and had a chance to kill him. Not, you know, there's there's people who have had that chance and who haven't done it because something in their heads told them not to, or because they've mm-hmm. pushed out. Like, there's different. There's different. There's just so many people at fault in this universe. It's a complex yeah. living universe, and you can't put it on the shoulders of one guy. Yeah. Uh, but he does because he accepts the blame because you know he's yeah. he's Luke freaking Skywalker. You know. Right. Yeah. Ha, ha, yeah. Hux could have killed him. Right. Like he had an opportunity. <laughs> Imagine that if he just curb stomped Kylo's head <laughs> like a grapefruit and just made a call and goes, "It's done. It's done. It's done." Yeah. 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 <laughs> Who's swole now? <laughs> it's still him. He's just dead. Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> True. Paul, you're actually, you're very well leading us into the next question there by talking about him accepting the blame. So um, that was a part of your article that I thought we could focus on for a few minutes, if you're okay, okay with that. Sure, sure. 
So in your article, um, I think I'm quoting this correctly. You say Luke is like all good people. He assumes the blame. So that stood out to me in a big way because we spend a lot of time talking about the definition of a hero and of a villain and the difference between them and good and bad, good versus evil. And so I thought this would be a fun question to dive into um, and just talk about that idea of assuming the blame being the trait of a hero. Do we see that as a trait in other heroes that we see in other stories? Um, And so just talk about that concept a little bit. Jay, why don't you lead us off on this one? Yeah, I, I like the concept a lot because I think it's it's worthy of consideration. Uh, as I thought about it in the context of heroes, it did slightly morph in my mind to good people assume responsibility. I think that when, like for example, you can see this in Luke, right? He is mm-hmm. he takes on the blame, and what he does with that blame is that he lets him look down on himself. He doesn't take it as a failure. He actually like he internalizes it in such a way that he says, I have to retreat. He's thinking less of himself. This is, this is Yoda's whole point to him, right? Yoda's whole point is, dude, get over it. Like, it's just a mistake. Move on from it. Um, I think responsibility is a little different because you can assume responsibility even if you're not to blame. So you can say, now in this case, Luke would be actually some partially to blame, maybe you say. But if he assumed responsibility, it means I have to make this better. I have to step up. Now, you could, you could make the argument that he is stepping up to the plate by removing himself from the force, which has got to be a pretty terrible thing to do. Yeah. Um, remove yourself from the force. be a pretty hard thing. But I think in terms of taking on a leadership role, you must take responsibility. Um, and that, that partially means that people will blame you. And you have to just say, you know what? We're moving forward. I understand that this has been hurtful to you. I understand that this has been this has been bad, but we are moving forward, and I am taking responsibility for this. So I would just kind of tweak the sentence a little bit, but I really like the concept, and I think it's really important for people to consider because how often does this happen to us in our real lives? Yeah. All the time. So, mm. Dale, what do you think? Um, yeah, right. It it actually, I think. You know, like Will Smith releases like these weird, like he's like walking around and like says these like vlog things. And he like (laughs) talked about the difference between um, fault and responsibility. And, you know, it might not be your fault that you had something tragic happen to you, but it's your responsibility on how you handle it and process it. And that's exactly what this is being said is that of course it's not like it's not really Kylo's fault that his uncle thought about killing him like you know that that that's on that is on Luke but he didn't and it was Kylo's responsibility to handle that to to be like you know what there is a dark part of me I can understand why he's afraid of me I do brag about how awesome I am all the time and you know like you know like you know like he knows he had those thoughts but in instead of um, using it as a reason to galvanize and be resolute and be like, but I have to push past it. Like, look what's happening. Like even my, my my uncle who loves me is thinking like I'm too dangerous. Like I, I need to hand, get a handle. He uses it as an excuse to do what he really wanted to do, which is to be a Darth Vader fanboy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so he's just trying to fulfill that. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and jump in here, Paul, and then we'll let you respond to everybody sure. else since sure. we're coming from your article here. Um, I, I, I mean, obviously it stood out to me when I was reading the article. I really liked it. I think, um, 
I would say my response to it is most of the time that would be a trait of the hero. Again, I would probably take the the clarification of saying assuming responsibility more so than assuming blame. Hmm. Only in the sense that if there comes a point where assuming the blame for something actually hides an important truth or hides something that should come to light, hmm. then maybe it's not the best choice to make. But I feel like that's often a, a hard choice to make. And the bo- and some of the best stories we get give us how hard a choice that is to make. So my favorite movie of all time is The Dark Knight. And The Dark Knight has one of these choices in it when Batman basically assumes the blame for Harvey Dent's death and they hide the Two-Face thing altogether. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard one for me. I've gone back and forth on that because on the one hand, I'm like, well... The truth didn't come out there, but maybe it's better that the truth didn't come out there because the truth was ugly and Harvey inspired people before he became Two-Face. And so I kind of go back and forth on that, but I love that point of discussion. I think in this case, in Luke's case, assuming the blame, I think it's absolutely a heroic thing to do. So, Paul, why don't you jump in here and respond to all of this? Sure. Jeez, there's a lot to take in. Um, <laughs> no, no, in a good way, in a good way. I think um, I watched this documentary, and this is going to sound like a stretch, but I watched the doco a few years back about um, about suicide bombers, and there was a story about this father who found out his son was a suicide bomber, and he ran out into the street, uh, and the kid was about to blow his vest up, and he hugged him, and the kid blew the vest up anyway, and people questioned whether the gesture was futile or was a waste of life, and um, other parents basically said, like, how dare you take that gesture away from him? The ultimate act of love is trying, even though you know, even though you know you're going to fail. Um, and then there's the parents of addicts who sit there beating themselves up night after night for decades because their kid has begun to spiral, and there's nothing they can do to stop it. But they're like, like, who else do I blame? I can't blame anyone but myself. And I think you know, responsibility is definitely a good caveat. Um, there's some really interesting stuff in the novelization, which again, I hadn't read before I actually wrote the piece, where they sort of flesh out the inner monologues of Luke and Kylo at the moment of the turn. Um, and mm-hmm. if you spin across, because I know that Ryan Johnson uh, mentioned the, he mentioned that, you know, it's the same event from different people's perspectives. So when we get the third one, the, t- the true one, for lack of a better term, um, Luke First of all, he has no intention of actually going through with it. He's, he, he, he can't do it. He can't carry through with, with, uh, with the death of Kylo. And then what happens is Kylo looks into his head and he knows what Luke sees. And that gives him, yeah, that gives him the excuse. And I think I had the same sort of run around in my head of uh, Han. I struggled with Han's death. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> I really struggled not with on Han. This show, it's not. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Um, I, I struggled with the death of Han because I, I, I wanted him to live more than I wanted him to do the right thing. And that's incredibly selfish, right? Like, you want the people you care about to be okay. And because we've been sitting here for 25 years letting these characters ferment and explode outwards into expanded universe material, we, we weren't ready. And I think that's why it, it jarred so much. And I think I blamed Luke initially for making that decision. I was angry at Luke for doing it. I was angry at him for stepping out on, onto the battlefield. I was angry at him for you know, straining too hard and popping a blood vessel and disappearing. And I was, but you can't begrudge him 
you know, that moment. And I, I couldn't begrudge Han that moment of going out onto the gangplank, even when he almost certainly knew it wasn't going to pan out well. But he was like Luke. He was accepting responsibility for... Like, he knew, he knew it probably wouldn't work, but he had to try because that's, you know, that, that's, what, that's what heroes do. And I think accepting responsibility in most circumstances, and certainly in, in Luke's circumstances, makes, is a heroic act. Now, I, I sincerely want, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before online, but Man of Steel is a contentious film, partly because of the amount of civilians he almost certainly kills in the process. But one thing, <laughs> one thing I like is when his ghost dad zips around the ship antagonizing people and shutting doors and opening doors and mentoring. That's the kind of Luke I want. I mm -hmm. want Luke hectoring Kylo to his grave in the next film. I want Luke upbeat and jubilant and wise and I want him with perspective and I want him I, I love the idea that maybe Ryan Johnson was saying just maybe that like stop beating yourself up because some people can't be saved and that's an important lesson to learn people you can't you can't die trying to save everybody because not everybody can be saved and not everybody deserves to be saved you killed Han Solo you're going down is my parting <laughs> message <laughs> all the Raylo shippers are crying right now oh god <laughs> He's literally a war criminal. Stop trying to have sex with him. That's my. <laughs> That's a new meme. That's a I'm new gonna, meme. There right there. I'm gonna get in trouble for that. I know. It. Yeah, you're gonna get in big trouble. Part of the, the part of Dale's network is uh, big Raylo shippers. So that's right. No, if you were shipping Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver, I am down with that mm -hmm. because they are two fine-looking people, and I'm sure they get along very well. It's just you know, <laughs> he. he I can't remember if it is in the if it's in the movie or not, um, but I know it was in the novelization because I finished it today. Um, where uh, Luke says to Kylo, he's like, "Yes, yeah, like strike me down with all your anger, and I'm gonna haunt you for the rest of your days." Like, and I I love that because it it's a twist on you know Obi Wan you know saying like, "Yeah, strike me down, and you're just gonna make me even stronger." And um, the I and and Kylo does it. I almost think he does want to be haunted by Luke all the time. Like, I think he's so lonely on this path that he's chosen that he would, he would love that. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I just want the whole see around kid thing <laughs> to not just be a line. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great line, but man, I want more out of that. Oh yeah. The, the fact that bringing back Yoda tells you that, you know, like, I think everyone will come back. I still think, I still think we'll have like our, Korra, uh, Korra um, Legend of Korra, trained by every Avatar moment where, like, Yoda, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, all the people who can go ghost mode, Anakin. Um, I think Anakin will return as a ghost. Who would you bring back? Would you, you know, throw a curveball and bring back Jack Lloyd? You know, just to really... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's funny because, like, Disney's been including Hayden Christensen in some, like, stuff recently, and he's been popping yeah. up and doing interviews and stuff, so I think that's just the, the gradual buildup of him coming back. Okay. I gotta I admit, I would like to see that. I mean... Well, that I, would be the ultimate, right, is Anakin, is Anakin telling Kylo he's wrong. Well, and even from a behind-the-scenes perspective, Hayden Christensen being directed well. I mean... Yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> like, we've seen it. We've seen it. Like, yes. life, is, life is a house. Life is a house is glass. Yeah. yeah, like, those are... He's not terrible. No, he's not. It was just... It, it wasn't a well-done film. Or th it wasn't three well-done... Two well-done films. Okay, but. I, I need you to act like you hate sand. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I hate sand? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember, like it's hate scratchy sand. and it gets everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. But don't but don't say that out loud and go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. 
<laughs> and then do it oh faster, gosh. but also slower at the same yeah. time. <laughs> I, the thing that I the thing that I figured out recently is that when we were watching the original films. It was always fairly nebulous as to what being a force ghost entailed, but um, you know, scenes from Clone Wars and scenes from there's that great compilation of short stories, um, you know, the uh, from a certain point of view. And there's a story where Qui Gon actually basically congeals. He draws himself out of a living force and builds bones and muscle and hair and skin and puts clothing on and stands in front of Obi Wan. And he sort of has to get back into having a body and remember what it was like. But once he's in it, he's He's Qui-Gon. He sits down on a bench and he feels it on his butt. And I mean, that's I'm, I'm reading into it, but it's assumed because he doesn't <laughs> cruise straight through the bench and through the earth. But they are Force ghosts are real people, but they're immortal and they're all knowing. And there's something great about, yeah, basically rocking up at a council of, of dead mentors who kind of sit you down or or, you know, just torture you into in, until you go insane. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, let's move on to our next question here. Um, I want to take a look at the difference between young Luke and his view of Darth Vader and older Luke and his view of Kylo Ren. Um, And just kind of the differences in how he looks at those characters, what his hopes are for those characters, what his treatment of those characters is. So, um, Paul, why don't you start us off on this one? Sure. Um, I... Part of me keeps looking back on Return of the Jedi and remembering it, maybe misremembering it as Luke not... Because he never tried before. He never tried to turn this person, right? Whereas in The Last Jedi, he had years and years and years of mentoring and just banging his head against the wall. And then he got this vision. So with Darth Vader, the damage was already done. There's nothing to be lost in trying, right? There's no... like you're probably going to die in this room anyway. Why not try and, you know, fix your dad in your last, in your last moments. And he does it without throwing a single punch with, uh, he he never punched anybody to my knowledge, but with, um, with the last Jedi, yeah, he'd spent decades trying to raise this kid and trying to fix this kid. And then he, you know, one night he gets this weird tickle in the back of his brain and he sees, you know, the apocalypse effectively. And, um, I'm sure that really troubled him. I'm sure it troubled him, holding a weapon over this kid and going like, this is, this is not the kind of person I want to be. I gave my dad the benefit of the doubt. I would love to know what Anakin thought of that moment at some point. I would love to know what mm. Jake Lloyd thought. I'm sorry, we're doing Jake Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> Cannon. But when you, asked, when you asked that question, I was like, yeah, it does seem hypocritical, but you know what? Some people are hypocrites and momentarily that doesn't make them bad. Like you can't be yeah. operating at a resting pace of moral purity your entire life. It's, I'm sorry, it's not doable and it's not interesting. So, mm. you know. Yeah. Mm. Dale, how about you? Yeah, I, well, it, I've been thinking a lot about what you had said about how he, you know, Yoda and Obi-Wan were wrong when they were like, yeah, just kill Darth Vader. And, and that's what Luke starts off with. Yeah, like, like go kill Kylo Ren like he's useless he's useless to me like I I can't work with the guy um and uh and it's it's okay that he was kind of hypocritical like it may like it makes sense like why wouldn't you come to that conclusion you'd be like yeah like he probably was a nice uncle you know what I mean like he like he seems he has like 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 you think Princess Leia was a bad mom like you think like Han Solo wasn't a fun dad like come on like he didn't probably have this terrible upbringing. They weren't, you know, like there's no, there's really the, his parents aren't, shouldn't be the cause of this, this turn to the dark side. So, um, so 
you but but they were trying to fix this this darkness that they saw in him and that almost inherently is the reason that um snoke got into his mind you know like if luke didn't train him and and try to hone his power and increase his strength snoke maybe would have let him be um you know snoke wanted to get rid of luke skywalker and he used kylo ren as the reason to get rid of sky like luke either to kill him or to you know exile him to an island so um it's uh yeah uh it's tough. I don't know. Like I, I get it. I get why. I get why he changes. He changes sides, but he then he doesn't. He realizes that you know what, Kylo Ren is worth saving. He doesn't go to. He doesn't go to fight Kylo. He goes to talk. To, he goes to go to talk to Kylo, and so in the end, he does try to do what he did for his father. You know, he does do the equivalent of you know I'm not going to fight you, and throwing his lightsaber to the to the side and giving him that opportunity. Um, but Kylo Ren wants it more. You know, uh, Anakin had other desires. Anakin, Anakin's love is, is is essentially the thing that brought him to the dark side, but is also the thing that saved him. And um, where An- like Kylo doesn't have anything. Kylo's like a he's like a workaholic <laughs> that like has nothing but this like desire to be powerful and in control. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one. Jay. It's interesting because as I was reflecting on this question, what I kind of realized was that, and you, Dale, you kind of referenced this a little bit, like Luke is the Obi-Wan and the Yoda at the start of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens with him, though, I think what he sees is he sees that Ray's views on Kylo are reflected in him as a younger person in his own views about Anakin. And so he looks at that and he goes, I, and I think there's another key piece to be made here that Luke understands that he, because of who he is, cannot be the one who sets Kylo on the right path, mm-hmm. right? Because like, if you think about it, like this is the guy who is super close friends, if not best friends with the dad you didn't get along with that you decided to put a lightsaber <laughs> through, right? Like um, this is the guy who essentially tried to raise you on his own and couldn't do it. So I think Luke recognizes the fact that if someone's going to turn him, it's not me. And then he sees his own hopefulness, his own desire for redemption in Ray. And he, and he goes, maybe she's got a chance, but I don't. And I think that that's a key distinction for Luke. And I think that he can, by the end of the film, he comes to terms with that of being like, that's okay. I don't need that role. Someone else can take that role. That's kind of the way I view it. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a whole lot else to say after all those great points that you guys made, but um, I think just for me is I think uh, there's a bit of there's a little bit of a naive nature to the way I think young Luke views Vader. Um, In the end, that comes out on top because he actually does get the chance to redeem him. And I think that's great. I think as you see later on in Last Jedi, you know, you have the more world weary Luke. And obviously he's gone through this horrific past with Kylo. Um, I think I think Ray has to help him remember. But I think in the end, he actually views Kylo similar to how he viewed Vader. I think he does want redemption for him. I think he does still believe that there is inherently good in people and they shouldn't be totally cast aside. But Jay, like you pointed out, I think he also believes that he's not the one to accomplish that task 
So you mm-hmm. kind of get to see this fun version of Luke where he kind of just gets to be a jerk and enjoy it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and he gets to kind of show off and scare Kylo and, and haunt him and be like, see you around, kid, and, but still know that there's a chance for hope in the future. It's a very interesting and deep question. And Paul, your article addresses this as well. In fact, we keep mentioning Paul's article. Like we're going to have to link to it in the show notes. You can go read it for sure. But there's this question of are, can these characters truly be irredeemable? And that's a fascinating question because when you take a look at that and you look at Luke said that Anakin, his father was redeemable after dude slaughtered younglings. Yeah, but he didn't. Right? Sl- <laughs> but he hadn't slaughtered young younglings before the prequel trilogy. But before the prequel trilogy, his acts were like vague and nebulous and sort of abstract. But then Lucas put us in a room with Master. What are we going to do? And then Vim, and then suddenly he's, he's mowed yeah. children down in a yeah. series of effectively kids movies. Now, yeah. artistic missteps, notwithstanding, and good God, there were a lot of missteps in that series. We now have to deal with that fallout. We literally have to reside in the universe where, yeah, Anakin did kill those children. And that retroactively changes Luke's knowledge. But again, Luke didn't know that his dad did that. We know it. Luke didn't. Luke just has this, you know, again, he's just, he's a space dictator. That's all he knows. He doesn't know specific instances. I'm assuming that wasn't in the hollows. That, uh, that well, and, that's, and that's, <laughs> that's the question, right? Like, are people worthy of being redeemed after that? Mm, and and I, I don't think that they're answering that question. They're no, not really coming to terms with that. No, see, I, 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 I all of you have said that... Y- You've all implied, at least, that you want Kylo to be redeemed, or at least that it's important that Luke realizes that he's not the one to redeem Kylo, and that's okay. I actually think that that's a, that's a fine read, but I like the idea that Luke goes, "Look, I spent five years on an island, you know, drinking weird milk, and the one thing I've come to realize is that, you know what." Some people just need to get their asses handed to them. And, uh, and I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it in a way that doesn't clash with my ideals and uh, figure out how to do that. I'll be back in a second. Voomp, and then, you know, he does his hologram trick a la Tupac. So I think <laughs> what I, I, I like the idea that suddenly we have this universe where we've come to expect redemption. And redemption's great, but you know what? It's a hard pill to swallow. But sometimes even the child of Han Solo and Princess Leia, who was mentored by Luke Skywalker, is just a turd and he needs to die in a ditch. He needs to get sawed in half and kicked <laughs> off a bridge. He needs to get flown to the center of the sun. I hate this. Like, I, lo- I love the character. I love it. But yeah. I think there's something inherently brave about painting a portrait of somebody who's just rotten. And every rotten person has shades of gray. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That, it doesn't mean he's not human. It just He's just trash. And I hope... God, I hope that Luke just trolls him so hard in the next movie. I just, <laughs> I would live for that. Yeah, I always had a problem with the idea of like, um, in retrospect, with the fact, no, even beforehand, that Darth Vader uh, could be even redeemed. Like, he, even in the original trilogy, he's still a part of blowing up Alderaan. Like, we still have seen him commit, I guess, planet planet side or genocide there. That's true. Um, let alone adding on the sand people. And um, uh, like he like he's like, I killed the women and the children. And like, I just I don't know what I don't know. Yeah, that's not how you flirt, dude. You've got to. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I don't know what girl in that situation is like, oh, that's cool. Like, like, so what did they do? Like, they kidnapped your mom. That's bad. But like, you killed the entire village. You're so brave. That's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like. 
Oh man, red flags all over the place. <laughs> well, I think there, there's a there's a case to be made for because we talk about this a lot. What does redemption look like? And I I don't think what Star Wars is saying, and I would not agree with this, is if they turned around and said tomorrow, Anakin or Kylo, like, hey, like it's cool, like I know you made some mistakes, like it's cool, like why don't you just join the Senate? Like you know, I think that's <laughs> instantly a terrible idea. Like no, there have to be consequences. Right. Like, so if you talk about if you when you talk about redemption, the redemption, redemptive piece was that Vader turned away from the dark side to embrace the light at the end. That does yes. not mean he's worthy of any sort of accolades. Yes. Right. right. So so I think that redemption is a, is, is a good thing to seek. But we have to be very careful with what we do with redemption, because I, we were talking about this the other day in real life. I think I don't know who it was. Um, but we were talking about uh, like just because we might say, you know what? We hope that that victims could get to a place where they would forgive the people that, you know, that victimize them. That still means that dirtbags need to go to prison for the rest <laughs> yeah. of their lives. Right. Like no. there's no there's not like a oh, hey, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, like you're restored yeah. to everything that you had before. No, that's not a thing, you know. Yeah, like I hope the Anakin Space Ghost is like making amends as much as he can all the time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to babysit Jar Jar <laughs> again. Oh. Toiling in the spectral salt mines for all eternity yeah, just with a yeah, single yeah. tear rolling down his stupid face. The thing that I like... <laughs> now, the, what's great about, um, about Vader's redemption that we're calling it is in the book Bloodline um, by I think Claudia Gray wrote it. It's, it's the very recent one. It's part of the new expanded universe. And basically yeah. what happens is uh, like no one knows that Vader had that last minute turn because even if they found out, it wouldn't make up for the things he did. Like the universe mm. at large doesn't care that he had a momentary turn to the good side. The only people that care or perhaps even know are Luke and Leia. Leia reflects on the fact that, you know, her father turned at the last minute and saved Luke. But that's like, that's the only good thing he did. And it doesn't make up for the other things he did. It just means that for a moment he was the old Anakin and that's, and that's worthy of commendation just like it's worthy of commendation that kylo didn't pull the trigger and take his mother out that doesn't make that doesn't undo the things he did it doesn't undo the murder of his father it just means that for a second he was he was a good guy but that doesn't mean you can save him it just means exactly. that when we that when we look at the scales and we tally everything up before he passes into whatever bow that i hope he ends up in he gets a <laughs> he gets a nod like he gets a nod for that thing yeah. he did and i think that you know we don't have to live in a world of absolutes you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just gonna say, yeah, like it is weird that Kylo Ren has only killed two people in in the two movies, um, and that's being Larsa and Tekka and Han Solo, right? Like he he doesn't kill stormtroopers, he doesn't kill the commanders, he he takes it out on computers and stuff like that. Uh, like, he does he does kill his entire personal retinue. He does kill Snoke's um, bodyguards, but so does Ray. Yeah, yeah. But we're meant yeah. to see that part as heroic, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. For a moment, anyway. Or at least yeah. arousing. Yum, yum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, for me, I, I, you're right. I mean, Vader, <laughs> Vader turning good at the last second doesn't excuse what he did. Same thing with Kylo. That's totally true. But I love that we have those little through lines to the, you know, to the internal thought process of these characters because otherwise, you have just this giant space battle everywhere, and it's like hopelessness versus a little bit of hope, like the. The First Order and the Empire are so much bigger than the Resistance and the Rebels are. Mm. And it's just fight, 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 laser, 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 explosion, explosion, explosion. And I think as fun as that stuff is and as 
much as I enjoy watching that, like the hyperspace collision is one of my favorite things of all time, but it's these little introspective things and these familial characters that really make me love this story so much. And I think the questions about redemption really feed into that and really help you care about these characters. And that's why I love it so much when, you know, just to talk about this stuff and just to see them struggle with it too. Mm-hmm. I killed the conversation. <laughs> no, you just left us speechless, no, we're, man. We're just th- yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just thinking about it. Um, well, let's go on to the, to our next question here. So um, let's talk a little bit about this family of characters and let's talk about the people that have been part of Luke's journey throughout his life. Um, this is this is a question I didn't send to you guys before, um, so I'm throwing it at you now. But who do you think are the most important people throughout Luke's life throughout the whole saga, and what do you th- what effect do you think they've had on his journey? So, um, Dale, do you want to start us off on this one? Yeah, um, actually, I think it's his aunt and uncle. Oh, uh, yeah, those people. <laughs> yeah, um, because that's that that's what makes him. Uh, not only hides him, but that's what makes him the perfect hero for the universe, right? And that's what makes Ray the perfect hero for the universe is this um, have the the values that they instill on him and the 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 life in the novelization. Luke actually dreams about never running into Obi Wan Kenobi um, and like the whole scenario playing out different and and spending his days on the moisture farms. And being married and and uh, being with his aunt and uncle, you know, he he wasn't gonna leave. He wasn't gonna leave them. He, he, they were they were killed, and that's why he left. And that sets in motion uh, his entire, I guess, vengeance arc. <laughs> um, and uh, they they are the ones they're the ones who raised him and really instilled the, like the, the the Ma and Pa Kent kind of values into him and. And you know, there's goodness in in anybody, because he wouldn't have got up from anyone else. True enough, Paul. What do you think? Oh God, I mean, <laughs> maybe it's. Uh, I mean, I would like to think that his friends played a role in inspiring him to get off the planet. I mean, you know, um, big like Star and Wedge. And Wedge yeah. yeah, where's Wedge, by the way? Yeah, seriously. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think. I honestly think it's, yeah, looking up at the stars and having friends who are egging you on is great. Like Tatooine was sort of this like training ground where you had, you had a hermit sort of like watching you creepily from the background, making sure nobody killed you. So you, <laughs> you grew to, you know, to the right age. You had an aunt and uncle who, you know, uh, were conflict averse, so kind of kept you safe and you had friends inspiring you. I think, I think Wedge and Biggs really did play a big role. Um, and then you know, I think, I think honestly, I think R two is a very, very big deal for him. I think R two is, hmm. God, I love R two. I mean, you yeah. can tra- throw like BB eight might have killed one hundred and fifty people, you know, from top of an, uh, like a robot set of chicken legs, which is just monstrous. Um, it really, the body count on BB eight is really taking him from adorable to terrifying. But R two D two, I mean, sure, he you know set robots on fire and tased people, but effectively, he was just sort of this, just mellow best friend like he was you know he was the scooby to luke shaggy like he was very he was a very mellowing influence um and i really enjoyed their scene together in in the movie i'm, I'm sorry there wasn't more r2 and luke and i hope 
I hope. I mean, is this like with the pharaohs? Do you bury R2 with Luke? I mean, there's no body to bury. But... <laughs> yeah, and he's there during Dagobah and all their journeys on the X-Wing through hyperspace and all that stuff. Yeah, he's really there for him. Yeah. Jay, what do you think? I, I really like the aunt and uncle answer. I think that's really good. I think there's some interesting influences on Luke that you'd have to think twice about. Because I didn't, I wasn't thinking about it until you asked this question. Um, and uh, one of them being Vader himself, because Luke Luke goes through this, th- lives in this idealistic world wherein the good guys are good and the bad guys are bad, and we have to try and stomp out the bad guys. And then his own father tells him, uh, "Everyone's lying to you, dude. Like I'm your dad." And he's just like, wow. I mean, that would be mind-blowing, right? It's like everything about the world as I understood it is now flipped on its head because yeah. the most evil person that I can see outside of the emperor maybe is now my father. What does that do to me? What does that do to the people around me? How does that How does that make me look at what's what could happen next? You know, um, So I think that's a big one. I think also another big one, in, especially as it relates to The Last Jedi itself, is in him seeing Rey. Yeah, because I think that Ray is the reflection of younger Luke in Luke's own eyes. It's this it's this character who doesn't know a whole lot, came from a total backwoods planet and is and yet has this hope of something better and has this hope of family. Like one of Ray's biggest things, one of the reasons she almost didn't left, leave Jakku was like, I got to wait for the people who dropped me off. I got my family is important to me. And so Luke sees that in himself and then says, yeah, she's at a place where I'm not. So I think that, that Ray has a big influence on him. I think it's interesting that Yoda and Obi-Wan are the two that haven't been mentioned yet, would appear to have a big influence on him even today. Yeah. And yet you kind of still go, yeah, but we all know they were doing stupid yeah. stuff back in the day. So I don't, yeah, it's just interesting. Did the prequels sour that? Like, would we have felt different about Obi-Wan and Yoda had we not seen the prequels? The only thing Obi-Wan and Yoda seem to do in the original trilogy that makes them against luke's perspective let's call it that right is they tell him not to save his friends and they tell him not to save his dad yeah and he rejects mm-hmm. both of those premises uh, i mean so so you'd have to say that like luke wins the, that battle like that their yeah. influence was not necessarily good there but yeah we, right. we also can't guess what would have happened if he didn't do that yeah so yeah yeah i think my my favorite characters are the ones that he has to make I mean, my I think the most impactful characters for him are the ones that he has to make some sort of hard choice about. So obviously Han and Leia are formative, you know, especially when he's younger. They, they're part of his growth. They're part of him becoming who he is. But um, you mentioned Vader and Kylo. And I think the most impactful stuff is the stuff that he has to struggle with internally. So is he going to try and redeem Vader? Or should he just kill him? Mm-hmm. And same with Kylo. Should he, you know, do you kill baby Hitler or not? And then even with Ray, it's like, do I set aside everything that I've come to so firmly believe in order to help this girl? And so I think those are the ones that impact him the most just because he has to struggle the most with how he's going to relate to them. Hmm. So I really enjoy that. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, Let me throw kind of an odd question at you guys um yes i would have sex with greedo all right I, i'll do it oh okay all right never mind we're good we'll skip to the next one it was me i was gonna say there's a few jokes in there i don't want to quite approach but yeah no 
Um, no, so there's a, there's this line in The Last Jedi that I just thought was so intriguing. So on two different occasions, Luke says something to the effect of impressive. Every word in that sentence was wrong or every part of what you just said was wrong. Mm. Yeah. Which seems like it could just be a throwaway line, but they use it twice, basically. So there might be more to it. And to me, it just feels so different from what we've seen of Luke in the first three films. It just feels cockier and more arrogant. And I don't know. I was curious what you guys thought about that line and kind of what it says about him, if anything. So, Paul, what do you think? I think it's like muscle memory of when he was teaching because I think Luke's built to be a teacher. I think he would really enjoy the act of being at Academy and, you know, teaching kids how to use the force. And I think that's probably a line that he had from when he was, you know, doing drills and sort of really enjoying things and everyone's just run up a mountain like, you know, um, Kung Fu training montage style and he's like, some kid's given a stupid answer and he's given some pithy response which he probably learned from Yoda and he's just feeling really good about himself. So I think the first time he uses it, he can't help himself because it feels like it used to feel. And then when he's on the battlefield, he's like, I used to teach this dickhead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to remind him of what it was like <laughs> when I was teaching him. I think, he's, I think he's built to be a mentor. I think he's really good at that. And I think that was probably, yeah, probably a callback to something he used to enjoy doing. And I think that probably annoys him the first time and exhilarates him the second time. That's my guess. That's mm. cool. I like that angle a lot. Dale, what do you think? Well, I think that the, what we've been talking about too is that Luke kind of, doesn't have that arrogance that the Jedi before him had. And and when he did get that arrogance, that was part of his failure. And so he is like, I'm nobody. Don't believe in my legend. Like, uh, I'm not like, you know, I don't know anything. And I kind of think that with like, you know, especially youth and, and these two characters, Ray and um, Kylo Ren, they're such know-it-alls and they're both kind of arrogant that he that's his response to their arrogance is like and because that like that hits a person who's arrogant in their like deep in their gut when they're told that all their arrogant ideas are wrong it's like oh what do you mean i'm so smart i know everything (laughs) and in the sense of kylo ren i think it was meant to enrage him and then in the sense of ray it was to make her like kind of like take her off of her um off of her path of just relentlessly being like, no, like I'm your student. You're going to train me. This is what's happening. And if you don't do it, I'm just going to like go to the dark side and get whatever answers I need anyway. So you might as well help me. And it's like, God, you're so arrogant. Like, no, like you're just, you don't even get it. Like get away from me, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Jay, what do you think? Oh, I think that's, that's right. There's a, um, I don't even know where this quote came from or even if it's if even if it's accurate honestly but there's this thing that people will say and it feels accurate whether or not it is but they say that the smartest people in the world the most intelligent people in the world rarely start businesses because they can see ahead to how difficult of a journey it's going to be and I feel like there you see Luke having already done what Ray is trying to do and having already seen the pain that will be caused of what like a Kylo is trying to do and he's just He's just old and wise. He's a little bitter because of where he's where where he's gotten to. You know, I think it's important that it's not the same Luke because that's what can happen to you, right? Like that's legit what can happen to you. And so for him to say that kind of thing, I think it just kind of shows like this is a guy who life's beat him up a bit. He's a little bitter about that, but he also possesses a deep sense of wisdom in what he has seen and what he has seen can be learned, like Dale said, can be learned from 
by these people. So, yeah, I think the first time I saw it, I just kind of chalked it up to he's older, he's curmudgeony, and this is their way of showing us that he's gained more confidence mm. in who he is over the years. But I, Paul, I really like your take on it. I really dig the whole idea that it they use it as a way to show how he's grown into being a mentor. Mm-hmm. I really like that. I think he yeah. would have been really good at teaching, and I just I wish he was my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Uh, we yeah, all are same. so glad that yeah, Han Solo yeah. or any character that Harrison Ford oh. has ever played on film is not our dad. Harrison Ford is the <laughs> worst movie dad. Worst movie dad. Nice guy in real life, though. Really nice. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. want to fly with him, but yeah. Paul got to interview him. Yeah. How cool is that? It's a good handshake. Smell good too. But we don't need to talk about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to choose between Han and Greedo. Oh boy. <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, this is getting creepy. Hey, speaking yeah. of Han, um, uh, I've read, I believe, that on The Last Jedi Blu-ray, there's going to be a deleted scene where we get to see Luke mourn Han's death a little bit more um Hmm. so I'm curious we didn't get to see a whole lot of that in the cut of the movie that was released but what do you how impactful do you think Han's death is on Luke's journey and how do you think it informed his choices in the last movie um Jay why don't you start us on this one I think actually mourning Han is going to solidify Luke's it's interesting because I, I can see how, almost how that could be cut from the film because if you, if you take Luke to that place where he's now mourning Han, it's going to make him more difficult to turn that corner, yeah. right? So like if you if you show that scene, that should it probably, I would assume, doesn't make him any more sympathetic toward Kylo. It only proves that he probably should have killed Kylo with the lightsaber at that time, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, not only has he now created more pain in Luke's life and in Luke's family, but in the universe in general. So I can see why that was cut, because I think that if it was not cut, to see Luke turn around at all in the course of this film would be very difficult. Because you'd be like, how does he go from like being even more enraged by and, and sorrowful uh, by Han's death to... Oh yeah, I should come back and enter the fray and all that. I just don't think that that would happen, so... Um, I do, I do really want to see that scene because I think one of the biggest misses in the Force Awakens is there's not even, and it, and it actually it's kind of true here too. There's really not much even a mention about Han. It's yeah, like, eh, the guy was a scoundrel. Yeah, it so. just kind of passes quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of odd. Dale, what do you think? Um, well, Han Solo is a bit of a dirtbag. Um, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like I don't know, like. What is he? He was he was like living job to job, like ripping people off, um, you know, like working with like the uh, the underbelly of the of the the galaxy. Like he like he wasn't doing anything. He he was basically like Luke is now. Like he was he you he might he just quit. He's he's not helping any resistance. He's not helping anybody. He was looking up for himself, ripping off anybody he could, and. Sure, unlike Luke, when given the opportunity to help, he did help, but only because he wanted his ship and like he like and it was his actual kid that was kind of involved and in, in that type of stuff. So um yeah, I don't know. I don't I think 
Luke and Han's relationship it was very adversarial too. Um, you know, especially like when they even their first meeting. You know, like it's very adversarial. Han takes his girl that he doesn't know that should be okay to be taken. <laughs> um, so I, I think I think they have a complex relationship, and even. When Han is like, you know, it's like, oh, you know Luke Skywalker? And he's, and he's like, yeah, I know Luke. It's like, <laughs> uh, like, does he owe you 50, 50 credits or something? Like, what's up? Like, we guess, what's going on? Like, you know, like, it, it, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's his brother-in-law. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if it, it it's impactful and it's meaningful, but he bailed on Han too, you know? Like, they, they've had, Luke is on that island to die. Like, I don't know why he didn't commit suicide, but whatever. Um, but he just is on that island to die. So I think he's kind of said goodbye to these people. And so, so you don't really need him to have to really kind of mourn and say goodbye to someone he had already said goodbye to. Can you imagine if the last Jedi's crawl started with Luke has committed suicide? No, no, you have that, but then you see his body falling <laughs> past the psyched. past the text as it scrolls down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Or, or, or even be- or even better yet, Luke is trying to commit suicide, and it's just like a montage of like faulty suicide attempts. The, the porgs keep, keep catching him. him. Yeah, yeah the, he just keeps falling on porgs and stuff, or like one of those caretaker people. Or if instead of throwing the lightsaber away, he just took it and ignited it through his own chest. <laughs> oh, just, that's... Uh, just in his head, just like... <laughs> like, Hamill, do you get any lines in this film? You get one. It's a long, prolonged scream as the same shoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, that would have been great. Paul, what do you think about uh, the effect of Han's death on Luke? Well, I mean, for me, it was pretty much captured when he says, uh, wait, what happened to Han? Or something to that effect. Because he's cut himself off from the Force. He doesn't know. He didn't feel his best friend's death. He would have felt it if he hadn't tapped out. You know, because um, I think it's like, there's a great thing about the book, and we keep harping on about the, about the novelization, but it's full of moments. It's got, um, it's got Leia mourning Han at the funeral. It's got Chewie and Leia mourning Luke. It's got lots of just little moments that I was desperately wanting from the series. But... You know, as long as, as long as we just get a shot of Ghost Luke, you know, I don't mm. know. We can't get Ghost Han, can we? To be clear, we can't. Like, no amount of force doesn't is going like to get. It, it doesn't seem no. likely, and you, probably you you couldn't get Harrison Ford back in that costume. <laughs> it's, it's true. I think even, he only came back because they promised to kill him off, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, that was unfinished business as far as he was concerned. <laughs> yeah. I think. But I think you know, I think Luke Morning is. I, I I would love them all sitting around a table just sort of doing shots. You know, just sort of, uh, <laughs> just sort of commiserating, and in a way, we did get him giving the dice to Leia, which was a you know moment. No one's ever really gone though. I think was sort of him going, uh, "I'll be back in like an hour, your time." Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I'd like it, but I don't think it's entirely necessary. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I it, I think it makes sense that it's not in the film, and. I, it's weird. I go through this back and forth in my head of whether or not I want to see more of the original trio or not, because I think at first I do. Like I, I desperately wanted to see Han and Luke and Leia on screen all together at one time in one of these films. But you also have to remember that they're they're telling new stories with new characters, and we really want to honor those new characters as well as we can. And not only that, I just feel like as bittersweet as it is and as much as I would love to see those three characters together, I feel like there's truth in the fact that that 
doesn't get to happen. Like sometimes, you know, things change and focuses change and, you know, the later years of life can be really hard and really bittersweet and there's loss involved and there's pain involved. And I think, I think it rings more true, even though it hurts a bit. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Um, okay. I got one more question I'm going to throw at you guys here. Um, so at the end of the last Jedi, we get to see Luke proclaim very clearly that he will not be the last Jedi. So I want to kind of look at the future a little bit, but specifically between him and Ray, what do you think that he sees in Ray that he doesn't see in himself? And kind of what do you think that hope looks like for him to finally let go of this in a way and pass it on to somebody else? And before we answer this question, unfortunately, we've just lost Paul. (laughs) The, The international internets are not smiling down on us today. And unfortunately, Paul is not going to be in on the rest of this conversation. But we will bring him back sometime in the future. So um, let's just go ahead and move forward with answering this last question right now. So, uh, Dale, what do you think? Yeah, well, I I have this thing about how, like, Ray's lineage is important. And in the novelization, uh, Luke refers to her as her niece, uh, and then as she is referred to as his niece a few times. And... Um, they're just messing with us and playing around with us and and being playful. But I actually think that speaks to the fact that uh, Luke's legend and who he is and his actions, it was her father. That's how she defined her morality and her ethics and her um, thirst for heroism. And, you know, her reaction to, you know, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker, um, is is exactly the same as uh, when Luke is cleaning C three PO and he's like, "You were in the Clone Wars, like you know, like it, it's she she was she's obsessed with his legend, like to to be connected to him, to be in the Millennium Falcon, like that their story raised her, just like Disney stories and Star Wars stories raised us and." And she is a product of Luke in that in that essence, and so I I actually think the best thing to have happen is that Kylo Ren doesn't get redeemed. That we we end the saga on no redemption, um, not that it's necessarily bleak, but that he just isn't redeemed. That there's an end to the Skywalker line, um, and because why would you kick end the Skywalker saga if there's still Skywalkers around? And so I think that, uh, man, it's such a big, it's such a big question, really. But um, yeah, Ray, Ray will be the last Jedi, but we're going to redefine what it is to be a Jedi, and we have hints of that in the film, and we have hints of that with Luke, you know, and, and Yoda, even Yoda's like, yeah, those things are kind of like, maybe we shouldn't listen to them as much anymore. Um, and you know, even the Bendu from star Wars rebels, right? Like they, it, it, times are a changing and the idea of finding balance in the individual, I think is going to become more important than balance in the general sense of the force. Because really, if you were to have balance, if you have a hundred good guys, you should have a hundred bad guys. 
And so instead, we should be finding balance in ourselves. And the whole story of The Last Jedi is, it's, it's you. You did it. You're not, you're not from a special bloodline. You're just special because of you. And so finding balance in ourselves is important. And finding that centralism is important. And not being a radical is important. And... Uh, I think those are kind of the hidden messages in Star Wars. So I think she's going to be the last Jedi, but is going to be redefining what a Jedi is. And I think that's what really the, the last film is going to be about, uh, which because it's probably also going to set up a few a few sagas and a John Favreau TV show. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <right. laughs> that's true. <laughs> what do you think, Jay? I think that a lot of what Dale said is right on. Um, there's, and I think that here here's some here's some reasons why. I think that when Luke sees Ray, he doesn't see any fear. He sees a lack of fear. And again, like right. these things were, were were true in young Luke, but not no longer true in old Luke, right? So like he sees a lack of fear. Um Ray doesn't No, he had, but he, sorry, I just Luke had fear. That's what he, that's what confuses him about Ray is that that she has no fear. Right? Luke had fear um like keep going into Dagobah, that was his fear, right? Oh yeah. Cause they, so let me clarify, Luke. Uh, no, that's good. That's good. I like that. The Luke chose to step past that fear, and in other words, right. he didn't let the fear turn him to the dark side. He embraced the fact that fear existed. And I think I think it would be a mistake to say that Ray doesn't have fear either. She does fear being lonely, but again, she steps past that fear. And mm-hmm. takes on this this thing that says I'm not going to let the fear define me. And I think that's that's the important point there because um, mm-hmm. you're right. They experience fear. It, it, it's kind of like being kind of like courage isn't the absence of fear. It's it's right. doing things despite fear. That's right. the same. That's the same thing I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, she's not afraid of the dark side. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. She's not. And, and and honestly, in Return of the Jedi, it doesn't look like Luke's very scared of the dark side either, as he's using the Force choke, right? Um, right. So I think he also sees the history of the family dynamic and how damaging the family dynamic has been, right? And, and how that's changed over time and the redemption or not redemption that has occurred throughout the family time. Um, and what how Kylo was abandoned. He's seen that too. He's seen, he's seen all of these things. The last thing I'm very familiar with because I work at a university. And so I'm constantly running into... 18 to 22 year olds that, I mean mm-hmm. like like the weird thing about working at a university is like normally at a place you work like you continue to get old with everyone else around you <laughs> it's like the university doesn't work that way <laughs> like yeah. there's just a constant like flux of 18 to 22 year olds that's all how it works <laughs> and this, there's there is there is something that is so interesting about that because of two qualities they they are very naive they're very naive however they have a level of energy and exuberance that I don't have anymore. And it's, I think that Luke is the same way. Like, I don't, I don't have the emotional wherewithal to, to do these, some of these things. Mm-hmm. And when he sees that in Ray, I think it actually inspires him in this film um, in a way that I am oftentimes inspired by the younger generation as well, because I go, wow, look at the exuberance they have towards this. Something that I would have said, you know what? I don't know. Maybe just give up on that. <laughs> but they, they're not, right? They're still fighting that battle. They're still moving forward and saying, like, this is something that we have to change. And I, and I think he sees that in Ray as well. So, Yeah. And I like yeah. how it um, <clears throat> it sort of completes Luke's character in a way, because you know, early on in his relationship with Ray, you hear him say something along the lines of, um, it's folly for us to think that 
if the Jedi die, the Force dies with them, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And in a way, you almost can read into that and think, well, he sees himself as having been the last hope of the Jedi being good. And so then you come to the end of the film and it's kind of the completeness of his journey because now he realizes, well, it's also folly to think that I am the epitome of the Jedi Mm. and that there can't be something better than me in the future. Exactly. So I love kind of having it round out in that way. I, you know what I, I could just to finish off my last thing. Cause you've really just touched on it. There's a h- entire thing that happens in the novelization that doesn't happen in the film. And what happens is there are these ships that are coming to the Island and Ray starts freaking out. She's like, Oh, oh my God, something about this. They yeah. found us. Like we're like done. And Luke's like, no, it's a raiding party. Once a month they come and they, uh, raid and they pillage the caretakers and she's like well that's terrible we have to like we have to go help them we have to stop it and he's like well a good Jedi would say that we should do nothing hmm interesting and she's like well then it's wrong uh, and he he, he he that's his best lesson that he gives her and so she goes, she runs off, and Luke's like, oh, but, uh, and she runs off to go stop uh, this raiding party, and it wasn't a raiding party ever. It's a celebration of light, like, fe- it's like a festival, and Luke was messing with her to teach her a lesson, <laughs> to teach her a lesson about that, you know, they, yeah, they would, that's what they would say, is like, you got to leave them to their own devices, and we shouldn't be jumping in for that type of stuff. And then actually, uh, Ray and Luke have a really nice scene where they dance together at the party, and uh, wow. he and he tells her like he's like you know she's like they need hope, and you like I want you like I like we have to do something. He's like yeah you that's what you do you do something like you should go be a hero like go save the day. And she's like but we need you, and he's like nah like that's not me like they don't need me. I I do not want to bring the Jedi back to the people. Hmm. It didn't work. And, um, and it, it just was that, that for me, that was the most important thing from the novelization was it was such a big lesson for Ray that when we read these novelizations, this stuff doesn't become, for me, doesn't become canon all of a sudden. Like you can't, you shouldn't take things from the book and insert them in the movie when you're watching the movie to be like, Oh, this makes the movie better because that's not, the movie canon is the movie canon. The book canon is like extended stuff that really lets you know people's emotions a little bit more. And uh, because like we're in this era of theory crafting and I hate that everyone uses the novels to back up their own theory crafting and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and because like, the, you know, the film is the film and if the film didn't say it, then it's not in the film. And um, but uh, for me, that's just such an important thing about all of this is just that Luke, for me, really, I see him as this guy who just really didn't, he just was like, no, like, we can't have the Jedi religion. And I'm a representation, like, I represent that. And he really just didn't want the Jedi to continue. And I think he did want to help. I, I think he always wanted to help. And, um, and, and I think he wanted to be a hero, but being a hero meant he, the Jedi would continue to exist. And he doesn't think they should exist or it should exist. And I think that is truly what his ultimate sacrifice is. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how 
the filmmakers take it in terms of is the is the concept of the Jedi bad or is it people's lack of execution on the concept that's bad that's going to be a fascinating topic that comes up in the yeah. in the movies over the next however long i mean it could come up in 9 but i think they they need to address it a couple more times sure so well, but the thing is, it's like one of the things that we had said even on this podcast was like, well, you know, you have the potential to turn a child into a weapon. Well, it wasn't a potential. That's all the Jedi did was turn all the children into weapons. They were just weapons of light. Right, right. You know, I'm playing like Shadows of Mordor and, like, I'm, you know, you might laugh at that, but uh, or Shadow of War. And the whole thing is like, you know, they're, they're you know, we'll t- end the reign of the Dark Lord and I will be the Bright Lord. And it's like, well, it's not really better. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like you might have all this like d- democracy and freedom, but if you just have this um, religion ruling everybody and controlling them that like they have to have compassion but not love, you know, exactly. like. Exactly. And, 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 um, yeah, and, and just all the dogma of it and the hypocrisy of the dogma because you're never going to be able to adhere to it all. Yeah, it just doesn't it just doesn't it, it just doesn't work. Right. Unless, unless like again unless it it's all it all comes down to how they write it because you could make an argument that all of those things are good and yet people screw it up or you could just say no you shouldn't even be trying to do these things so it's going to be interesting to see how they take that i I think either way they go is going to be fascinating and it's going to cause us to continue to have these podcasts which i'm super excited about yeah Yeah, because you're right they could go the other way with it they could be like well look now we don't have a government we don't have a republic and we don't have the first order so we don't have like an empire so people will probably be drawn to religion and religion is a great way to organize groups of people and get them to follow rules and um uh but then you know like in throughout history the times that that has happened it hasn't really turned out well (laughs) for countries so but like it's star wars so maybe like you know uh, yeah maybe yeah what if everyone goes jedi wouldn't that be good? Like, is that, you know? <laughs> it's so it's, it, I was talking to Josh about this. So Josh is another of the network 1901ers and he did this really good video on, uh, Frollo and, um, like basically religious oppression, uh, that's as, as it's told in the, um, hunchback of Notre Dame. And I was, I was chatting with him, um, on a side topic and I was like, Oh man, like I think you would, it would be hard to argue that religion is not one of the most historically speaking damaging things um, that people have invested in. And what's so fascinating about that is I say that, and I told Josh this a million times and I say this on the podcast all the time, I'm a Christ follower, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you that when religion becomes political danger zone, it is almost always bad. Um, because you cannot take something, you cannot give people power and expect them to exercise it appropriately. It just doesn't work. Yeah. So when it's when it's not personal, so it's, it's interesting because if they take the Jedi that way, like if they take the Jedi back and build up a Jedi order, I'm going to be like, okay, well, you're going to show that this is going to crumble again, right? Because uh, mm. we that's what we see in history. Like it doesn't work. Unlo- like that's the it, it'd be it'd be like. It'd be too difficult for me to believe. My suspension of disbelief would be gone 
if they actually, you know, said like, "Here's the Jedi Order again," I'd be like, "What? Yeah, what is yeah, wrong yeah, with yeah, you?" Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was, and I think that's such a yeah. good, that's such a good important message. When, when we started talking about, Daryl said this too. When we started talking about the prequels, the way that we do in the podcast, we all of a sudden started liking the prequels more because you can draw good things from them. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, they're not they're not total trash fires. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been awesome. Super so fun. We're going to wrap this up here. Dale, um, just real quick before we wrap up, remind everybody where they can find you, what you're up to. Yeah. Well, uh, so Network 1901, three podcasts a week. Uh, I'm on most of them sometimes. <laughs> um, and then uh, three YouTube videos a week, uh, Angie, Shannon, Josh, myself. We do everything under the Disney umbrella, Disney, Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar. We've been really kind of – honing in honing our craft a little bit more and kind of streamlining and uh josh goes to the parks and uh we do a lot of analysis and i'm gonna start um doing a deep dive on the disney eras themselves and talk about each specific era and and its successes and failures and and we do fun things like that and obviously we always inspire comments and we're always wanting to talk and and we connect i think the big thing about us that maybe separates us from a lot of Disney um, oriented podcasts, which, cause I think some people are like, Oh, I don't really want to listen to a Disney podcast um, is that we really connect it to society and we're not afraid to talk about like, uh, like equal rights or um, like abortion or something like it, it, like if it, like we're not just like trying to make connections. Like we have a, the last DCC, we talk about Elsa having a girlfriend um, and we're not really, uh, or like beautiful sadness and stuff like that. We're not really afraid to to have the hard conversations, but um, it's somewhat connected through Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and Pixar. And uh, it's been it's uh, it's great. It's a lot of fun. And you can find us kind of anywhere just by googling Network Nineteen O One. Very yeah, cool. and I'm a fan. And sometimes yeah. I end up at the parks with Josh. <laughs> there <laughs> which, you go. Which, which which I'm so jealous of. I <laughs> never get to go. I know. And I know. Yeah, you yeah. gotta move down and, here. And, yeah. I know, and the only time I got to go, we have recorded every moment of it, basically. So, it was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then let me also say, since we lost Paul, um, Paul is an author, broadcaster, and comedian. As he mentioned, he co-hosts uh, 28 Plays Later, which you can find out more about at 28playslater.com. He also has a book coming out later this year called Loose Units. So you can keep an eye out for that. And if you want to go back and read uh, the article that Paul wrote that inspired this podcast to begin with, um, it's called In Defense of Luke Skywalker. You can go to IGN.com and search for it there. So that's it for today's show. Um, Dale, thank you so much. Huge thanks to Paul. And um, before we leave, we just want to let you guys know and remind you, do not forget to subscribe. That's right. And leave us a comment or send us an email at thestorygeeks at gmail.com. We also love iTunes reviews. And we actually read iTunes reviews on some of the shows from time to time. So be sure and leave us an iTunes review and we will read it on the show. If you enjoyed today's show or any of the Story Geeks podcasts, share it with a geek friend of yours. Links to everything we've talked about today are in the show notes. Um, well, mostly everything. I forget sometimes. But <laughs> least, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Uh, don't forget to check out the exclusive content on Patreon. There's not enough people that have listened to the second half of our The Last Jedi podcast with Dale and Shannon. More patrons. More yeah, patrons. More patrons. Join us. Yeah. So head over to thestorygeeks.com for that. 
And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth.